Aloha and good morning. My name is Jürgen Steinmetz and I'm joining you from Livestream.travel in Honolulu. We're part of the Itobo News Group and Hawaii News Online. And today we're not going very far. We're actually staying right here in our state and we're just going one island to the north and um, welcoming uh, Richard Alfred, I believe it was, from the uh, Kui Ula. And I lived here for 35 years. I still cannot pronounce these names, but he's joining us from Kauai. And he will tell you who he is and why we're talking to him. Good morning, aloha. Aloha, good morning. Thank you for having me today. So, and, and yes, uh, Richard, uh, you're, uh, you're on the island of Kauai. And for those that don't know Hawaii very well, um, our, our state um, has um, uh, several, uh, Hawaii is called, I'm sorry, Kauai is called the Garden Island, I believe. It's um, for many think it's one of the few places left in our state where you really find nature, beautiful landscape, it's small. How many people do you have in Kauai? Oh, about 70,000. 70,000, so it's basically kind of the size of Big um, Mahe Island in the Seychelles. So we heard a lot from the Seychelles about the same size, but it's not an independent country, just an independent island. And later on we hear that it's almost an independent country when it comes to the mayor. But um, uh, Richard is in charge of a development, what I understand is part now of the Hyatt Hotel Group. And um, his development is a villa development in with full service villa um, development. And um, he uh, and also just reopened again for tourism after October 15. Can you tell us a little bit more where, where you guys stand and, and, and what your uh, property is all about? Sure. Um, so uh, we're on the south shore of Kauai. Uh, Poipu area is a really beautiful little beach community that's been here. Uh, originally, the town of Kaloa, of which we are part, is uh, was a, a sugar plantation. It was the first sugar plantation in Hawaii. And um, we have uh, a handful of resorts along the coastline, including the Grand Hyatt. And uh, Kukuyula started uh, about 10 years ago, well, actually uh, 13 years ago. And it, it was conceived originally as, uh, conceived as a, as first a private home community and with a, with a, uh, a club at its heart, a private club. But then there's a small hospitality component that's right in the vicinity of our clubhouse. So first it's a private club with this small boutique hospitality operation. And all of our accommodations are private homes that are one, two, three, or four bedroom homes um, that uh, operate much like a hotel. And so if you stay in one of those homes, you are effectively a member in residence at, at the club. So um, it's, a, it's, it's a really nice destination. It has this feel of a private club, but it has the energy that you get with the boutique hospitality operation as part of it. You mentioned Hyatt. Um, we, uh, we brought in destination hotels and resorts about uh, a little over two years ago to manage our lodging operation. So um, uh, we, the club, operate the amenities such as golf, spa, dining, pools, and things like that. And then um, uh, destination operates the hospitality operation. So they they maintain the properties. They check people in. They provide all the housekeeping, they do all the marketing and servicing of, of our lodge guests in the home. 
And um, shortly after our arrangement with uh, Destination is when Hyatt acquired that company as part of the Two Roads acquisition a couple of years ago. And so um, that's been super first. It's a great partnership. They brought a lot of awareness to Kukuyula and we're a unique product within the Hyatt product uh, offering because it's, uh, it's different. The place lives much different than a typical five-star hotel. We have five-star amenities but they're shared by relatively few people because really at its core, it's a private club. And it's so, really, I'm sorry. It's a, it's a thousand acres. And uh, I mentioned that we got started in 2006 or seven and uh, got off to a slow start as you might imagine. Well, actually it was a very quick start and then ran into the recession. And so the club actually opened in 2010, uh, the golf course and the clubhouse and all the amenities were built during the heart of the recession. And then um, really took a while to get uh, get its feet underneath it. But uh, in the last five years, we've really found our footing and uh, the change with Two Roads and Destination and Hyatt has been really good for the property. And uh, now we have about 250 members. So a, a member represents a family that um, has a purchased property here. And uh, so now the club is dynamic and active and fun. And then the lodging program has really uh, found a following and um, and it's it's just a really nice place to be. Now, when you um, see from the hotel pool within the property, so you have residential living uh, for, for people that live there all year round and you have those that come on vacation. Is that correct? Right. So, so as I mentioned, it's first, it's a, a resort community. And so we, um, we will ultimately have as many as 850 homes and members. We're at about, uh, uh, we have about 125 homes complete as of now, but um, they're predominantly vacation homes. And uh, now we have about 25 or 30 families that live here full time. And um, we've seen that grow in the past few months. We had a number of families who would come for three or four months, certainly the winter months, and many of them just stayed because they didn't want to return to the mainland. And then we had a number of families who've been contemplating uh, buying a home here, pardon me, and uh, they uh, left end of February, early March, and then they returned, came back, bought a home, and they put their kids in, in school here, and um, they've chosen to make this their home, and the, I think the virus, uh, the pandemic made people stop and think about where they're living and how they're living their life, and they moved over here full time. So it's been an interesting transition the last few months. And uh, when, it took, when you come to t uh, social distancing and all these things we're talking about, this is, I would say it's the ideal situation because this is a fairly large um, development. You stay in independent homes and you can really live your own life within the property, right? Oh, it's, it, I mean, we're fortunate. It's it's an ideal arrangement for both visitors and our members because you know, good design in Hawaii is all about um, blurring that boundary between the indoors and the outdoors and having the home spill out into the garden and then also opening up the home to natural ventilation because we, we uh, um, try to minimize air conditioning and open up the home to the trade winds. And so um, all of our all of our accommodations are in private homes, so you're not 
um, having to go up an elevator or walk down a hallway. And it gives someone staying in one of those, one of those homes a, a kitchen and a living area and a back patio. Some of them have their own pool. And so uh, it's really easy for people to isolate within their own family and their own group. And then all of the club facilities have uh, extensive outdoor spaces. So that's really worked to our advantage. So um, most of our dining is outdoors under covered roof or poolside. Um, even our spa fitness room, our spa treatment rooms uh, open to the outdoors. So we open up the, uh, the, uh, the sliding doors or the, uh, the patio doors. And so we can get the airflow, which is really what folks are looking for now. I think the more outdoor, natural outdoor air circulation we can generate, the more comfortable people are. And so and it's a, our fitness center is largely open air and uh, dining, of course, the pool, golf, and then we have uh, an extensive trail network for walking and biking. So the things that people come to Kukuyula for are outdoor recreation and the dining and and uh, fitness are, are really pretty comfortable because you're mostly outdoors. And I think it took us a while to figure out how we would deal with spa treatments, um, but they now have that figured out and, and uh, the, spa, uh, the spa treatment staff has gotten comfortable with protecting themselves and developed some protocols for keeping the space extra clean and then cleaning between treatments. So I think our facility is just, you know, we're lucky that it turned out this way, but um, the facility is, is terrific for getting people to feel comfortable and not be cooped up indoors. Did you see an increase in, um, in the length of stays? Um, I know properties like this in the Caribbean, in Barbados, we did an interview not too long ago. There was a focus on getting people to come and work from home or from their home away from home. Uh, with, with internet access, all, many people can work from anywhere. Do you see such a trend um, in your facility? So uh, we're just getting started seeing the patterns with our visitors. For our members, that has certainly been the case. They've come and, and uh, set up shop so that they're staying longer. And as I mentioned, many of them just didn't return to the mainland for the summer when they otherwise might have. Um, and, but it's really only been in the last month that uh, people could get here without having to endure the 14 day quarantine. And many of our people just couldn't or wouldn't do that. Um, so with what we're seeing on the books now, um, we're, the, the bookings are from, for longer periods of time. Our average length of stay historically was 7.7 .7 days. And we're seeing people now book for two, three, four weeks at a time. And, uh, you know, I think it's the people that we're seeing now in the early stage of, of the travel recovery, um, they're people that have a long affinity for Hawaii, a long-term affinity for Hawaii. It's not the traveler who's thinking, you know, it's a once-in-a-lifetime trip to Hawaii. That's just not who we see. Um, they're people that have a long-term connection to, um, to the South Shore or Kauai or uh, Maui or the Big Island. And so now they're they're really, they've, they've, they've been yearning to come back and now they have the opportunity to do so. And so um, length of stay certainly is, uh, is extending. Um, and then we're, we've always been um, 
popular with people looking for family reunion trips. Uh, they'll rent two or three cottages or two or three homes and and uh, gather here, whether it's for a holiday or a family reunion or somebody's birthday or something like that. And we're seeing more and more of that now, that people are traveling in packs. And uh, so that's that's happening even more so now. When, so, I, when, when I looked at the uh, Hyatt website, and I know you're part of the Hyatt group, I saw your uh, villas are starting from about $1,230 a night. I didn't find any long-term rates, it's all per night. Is this something maybe what is in the making or are there other options for people who wanted to stay a few months or you just strictly said day by day? So um, we, we haven't had, uh, uh, we haven't developed a, a, a plan for long-time visitation that is in our lodge, lodging product, our, our club lodge product, if you will. Um, interestingly, there are homes in the community that can be rented for long term, and we do see some people do that, but it typically does not include access to the club facilities, you know, the resort amenities. But those homes rent quite, um, quite well. People are looking for a home that has, they say, three, four bedrooms and a pool, um, and um, then they're, they're not able to use the golf course and the clubhouse and the dining and such, but, but they are coming really because they want to be on the South Shore of Kauai. Uh, but uh, it is something that we're we're going to need to deal with. We've seen some people come to the island and want to stay for three, four, five months at a time. But uh, remember, these homes are all owned by families, and so most of them aren't inclined to give up their home for an extended period of time because they the reason they buy the home here is they want the flexibility and the the ease of coming and dropping in when they want or having their kids or friends come use the property. So. Um, so we haven't got that figured out just yet, how we would accommodate long-term uh, rentals in that operation, but um, it's something we certainly will have to uh, think about. Now, when you look at the island of Kauai and the reopening of the state of Hawaii, um, there have been uh, some changes. And before everyone visiting our state during the heights of the corona crisis uh, needed to go into quarantine for two weeks after they arrived. Do you, uh, and then it was changed on October 15th when um, the state government uh, developed a, a pre-testing system where uh, visitors or future visitors can get or have to get within three days of arrival uh, in the state of Hawaii at um, approved pharmacies and drugstores uh, across the nation. Uh, we also recently, just last week, opened up to Japanese travelers with a similar system. Uh, the differences between the Japanese and the American visitors, Japanese after they return home, they still are facing two weeks quarantine uh, in their own, um, in, in, in their uh, home destination, what of course makes it a little bit of a challenge. And I know Governor Ige is uh, uh, working very hard on a solution. Now, when it comes to the island of Kauai, things have worked a little bit different. I know people are well more aware, have always been well more aware of environmental issues, health issues. Um, there had been protests not too long ago on in Hanalei on uh, Kauai's North Shore. And people are very concerned about um, the situation bringing the virus in. 
So the mayor in Kauai, as far as I know, also wanted to require a second test within seven days of the first test. Um, that was then, I think, not approved by the governor. So where, where do we stand? How do people travel to Kauai right now? Um, it's been an interesting several months. And as you know, there was a goal of opening the state up to pre-travel testing on August 1st. And they weren't able to pull it off because they couldn't organize the infrastructure of testing and all of the controls and the monitoring and so on. And, and uh, so, you know, it's been really interesting here on Kauai because we've been so insulated from the effects of the virus. I mean, it's been extraordinarily safe here. I think Mayor Kawakami has done an extraordinary job of protecting the people and uh, basically um, going through the process of, of, of closing us down. And the challenge, of course, is, is reopening safely. But because we've been so insulated from the, in the effects of the virus, we haven't had to adapt in the same way. And so um, you know, it's, it's a little concerning now. And I know a lot of people on island are very concerned. And some of that is just based on uh, not knowing how people on the mainland have adjusted, or even Honolulu, how folks there have had to adjust because it's been much more present. And so we've had the luxury of, of being relaxed and comfortable that you're not um, exposed to the same degree. And so we haven't had to, to do that. Having said that, I think you know, the, the mayor recognizes that we can't continue this lockdown indefinitely, that um, small business owners on the island are really struggling and there are very few hotels open, which then cascades down to all the employees that are out of work. And then the restaurants and any number of restaurants have closed and many aren't reopening. So there's this economic tragedy going on that, that we need to um, ameliorate. And so um, you may know that uh, Mayor Kawakami pushed to have Kauai uh, approved for uh, what they call bubble resorts. Yes. And that was issued uh, as to be effective October 1st. And Kukuyula was selected as one of the first of two. And the premise is that um, people could uh, have a wearable device that connected to their phone and we established a geo perimeter. And as long as people came and stayed within the property, they could, it, they called it an enhanced movement quarantine. And uh, we concluded that we would require people to get tested before coming from the mainland and participating in this program. But uh, we were prepared for that and, and actually uh, did run our bubble for a couple of weeks. And then just about the time that that was announced and approved is when the state ultimately decided that they need to move forward. And it's been challenging for Mayor Kawakami because he has to get approval for these things from, from the state. And I think the state rightly wants to have some consistency across the various islands so that consumers aren't confused. And, and frankly, they are. I think this opening has been challenging. People, um, there's a lot of confusion about the testing and pre the, the, what they call them trusted travel partners. So um, it gets better every day, but now the, the testing uh, is more available. People living in rural areas coming to Hawaii are having a hard time getting the test. So there's a fair amount of stress that travelers endure to get here, 
And did they get the right test in the right location? We have to do it within 72 hours. What happens if my flight's delayed? I mean, it's you know, traveling is stressful enough as it is. And then you add this layer. Um, my wife is returning from the mainland today and she's worried if she's going to get her positive test in time. And what happens if I don't? <clears throat> Pardon me. And, um, you know, people coming from LA, San Francisco, Seattle, those markets have plenty of testing resources available. But if you're coming from Salt Lake City or Phoenix or Denver, they're not as well equipped. So they're, they're dealing with some adjustments and growing pains. But uh, I will tell you that once you get through that, once you get through the air and get through the airport and people are astonished, they arrive and there's the National Guard standing there to ensure that they filled out their form and it's a little bit alarming. But once you're here, it's wonderful. And I will say the past several months have been surreal at some level because we were so isolated. It felt like the 70s here. The beaches were empty, the roads were empty, and um, you know, it, it, was, it was special. So when you see these protests, partly it's because people had this window into the island to ourselves. And there's a lot of people who don't want to give that up. They want that feeling that, you know, this of having the island to ourselves, but there's this large segment of the population that needs to get back to work. And, and more importantly, you know, at the root of Hawaii's culture, this hospitality, ho'okipa, you know, our, our people want to get back to work because it's really what they do. They, they have this kind of uh, desire to care for people. And I know that they enjoyed a couple of months off there for a while. And um, I understand, you know, people were you know, going to the beach and they're going spearfishing and going, doing their things. And there were very few people in the waves, but now people have a desire to get back to work. And so, it's, I, I think it definitely stops our discussion on over tourism and the discussion also in Kauai during the super ferry um, uh, <coughs> times. Yeah. And, uh, so it's, it's, it's moving forward, but how technically does it work right now? And I'm, I'm confused and I live in Hawaii, but I right. know there are tests necessary to even fly between some islands and there's no test necessary to fly between other islands. So if someone uh, comes into Honolulu, can they easily transfer to Kauai or is there another test required or is it uh, probably um, they should fly directly to Kauai. What flights are operating directly to Lihue? Um, what's the best way to get to the island of Kauai? Well, I, I suppose it depends on where you're originating from, but there are direct flights into Lihue from Seattle, uh, San Francisco. I don't believe Oakland has returned yet, uh, but um, there's a direct from LA on Delta. I think San Francisco is united and uh, there may even be a flight, Alaska may have re restarted its flight from San Diego. Um, and what we have found is that the uh, screening process is easier if you fly directly into Lahui. Um, if you fly through Honolulu, you get screened there and then you transfer over on Hawaiian most likely. Uh, Southwest I, has service now. Uh, you then get screened again. And when I say screened, um, there is a form that you have to load onto your phone and you fill out information about yourself and your health, recent health history. And then um, as soon as you received your test results, you can upload that to this form on your phone. 
And so um, that's all available on the, um, the, uh, the state travel site. Uh, there's some really good links. Uh, Health.hawaii.gov has uh, links to all of the safe travels programs. And so you have to fill out this form. Uh, you te the test has to be from what they call a trusted travel partner. It's not just any test, it's the NAAT test. And it has to be from one of these spe uh, specific providers. And I think there's certainly been confusion about that, that people have gotten the NAAT test, but not from one of the trusted providers. And so um, that's something to watch out for. But um, like I say, that's all getting better every day and they're improving the testing that United Airlines has something in the airport in San Francisco. Um, there's a number of facilities. I think Alaska Airlines has something in the airport in, uh, in um, uh, Seattle and Hawaiian Airlines has a facility, uh, I think it's outside of LAX, but right adjacent to LAX and they provide the quick test. So uh, with a little bit of research on, on the, uh, the HTA site, you can learn where to get the test. And then, um, but if you can fly directly into Kauai, uh, you're not going to have to get kind of processed twice. Um, so to go inner island, um, as my understanding is that for people to go to Honolulu, you don't have to be tested inner island. Right, that's not to say from the mainland, but if you're coming from Kauai or Maui or Big Island, you can go to Honolulu and not be tested. But when you come home, you have to be tested. Now, I believe if someone travels from Maui to Kauai, they have to be, they have to be tested. And there are other providers that you have to have within the three days of travel. And uh, one of my uh, well, a number of our employees. Um, have gone to Honolulu for medical checkups or certain things like that, uh, uh, or uh, dealing with immigration or whatever. And uh, so they can go over, but then to return, they have to take the test, which means they get the test over there, and then they come back uh, with that test on their phone, so they get processed. So, you know, the state is figuring it out. And yes. um, one, the wonderful thing about Hawaii is the, you know, this, culture is so open and, and these extended families, uh, you know, the aunties and uncles and these families are so extended, right? You know, the, you go to the beach and on the weekend and you'll see these tents of three, four, five families. And so I think that gives, that, 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 that gives the elected officials or the, the concern that, you know, this comes in and, and one person in the family is infected and now all of a sudden the whole family is infected because it's just, they're sharing food, they're playing music, they're bouncing right. babies on their knee. And like I say, it's one of the really great things about the local culture, but it means that they're really vulnerable. So I think they've been right to protect the people here. And, uh, and so it's been complicated, complicated transition, but um, it's getting better every day. Yeah, no, and I have to I have to agree with this. I mean, living here myself for more than 33 years now in in this state, uh, we criticize our government a lot, and I think lots of this is rightfully. But I think the situation we're going through right now, this kind of emergency, we are really serving an example not only in the United States but also um, globally in the way we have handled um, this virus. When you look around in the rest of our country, um, numbers are skyrocketing. They're scary. And um, we're still keeping 
our state fairly safe. Um, and, uh, and, and that, of course, uh, takes, takes a lot of planning. It also takes a lot of discipline. And, um, and I think the fear we have with our visitors many times is that we need to educate our visitors before they come here. Um, so they, they, they are prepared what is expected from them and how they could really enjoy their stay here in, in our state and at the same time stay protected and also protect us, the people who live here. And, um, and, and we're making progress, I agree with you. I've, I've, I've witnessed the opening of the testing facility at Honolulu International Airport, what will be used a lot for inter-island travelers. And I got a test myself, it was very easy, it took five minutes. But of course I was, I was there with the mayor, so I don't, there was no line, but with no line it took really just five minutes and I had an email four hours later uh, telling me that my check, test was negative. Uh, what is good to know uh, regardless. And yes, we are making progress, uh, but it is a situation we need to stay on top every day. We cannot lose our, uh, let our guards down in, in going through this. And um, many people have feared with the opening of tourism, our numbers would increase dramatically. Now they have increased a little bit, but they haven't increased dramatically. And uh, when they increased, it's really doesn't seem to go back to the increased number of visitors. It goes back to other clusters, uh, family situations, like you explained. So there, there's so many factors, but overall, I don't know if you agree with me, uh, traveling to Hawaii can be a safe and rewarding and a very pleasant experience, um, can it not? Absolutely, I think that um, I, I, you know, I, I traveled to the mainland in, in August, um, we have a new grandbaby and I hadn't met her yet. And so I felt uh, you know, I just had, I had to go. So I went and uh, when I first got on the plane, it was the first time I'd flown in six months and I was on edge and really, you know, really guarded. And then I got through and I got to LAX and I was, you know, kind of <laughs> and, you know, I was on high alert. And then after a few moments, I just I looked around and people had adjusted and, uh, and then, you know, I think it, it gave me a sense of, okay, people on the mainland have been living this with longer and they've had to adapt. And um, so it, and it made me, I, you know, I got to see how people had, had adjusted there. But uh, certainly it's, uh, you know, with all the, and we've learned so much more about this thing in the past few months, but I think you can fly safely as long as you protect yourself. And I was really impressed by Delta Airlines and how they, took care of me and they ensured that people were wearing the masks and they were, they did a terrific job. And so, um, you know, we hear, um, when, I think once people get here, if they, I think that they get the positive test or the, the negative test rather, and then get here, um, we are asking people to voluntarily take a test three days after they arrive. And um, some folks are doing it and some are not. And, I think the number of people who've tested positive after coming is really quite low. So for the most part, the testing protocols are filtering out and and keeping us as safe. But once you get here, it's pretty darn nice. And um, I was in you know much more heightened state of alert when I was uh, on the mainland than here. Having said that, um, doesn't mean that we're allowing people on property to take off their mask and around. Our primary concern at this point, 
aside of keeping members and guests safe, we need to make the staff comfortable that they're not taking an unreasonable risk because so many of our staff live with their parents or with their kids and grandparents. However, um, we need to make them feel safe so that they're not taking an unreasonable risk that exposes their family. And, um, you know, the club is, is, is funny. Um, there's this, there's this warmth that the people have it, they greet everyone with a hug and it's a little bit alarming for some people, but, um, and we've had to discontinue that obviously. So people are adjusting, but it is the, the staff knows the members, they get to know the guests. And because it's a small hospitality component, we're not dealing with a 250 room hotel of transients turning over every five days. It's a very small group. And so it's very intimate and personal. And so we're having to learn how to be careful and safe and, but still have that friendliness and the warmth that, that people come for. So that, that's been challenging. But I must say that once you get here, it's pretty darned, uh, pretty darn nice. My daughter lives in Seattle. She was here uh, about 10 days ago. And, and she said it's kind of the first time in six or eight months, she's really been able to just kind of relax and catch her breath. What are the changes in the hotel operation? I know yours is maybe, it's very uh, boutique, but you also have the Grand Hyatt, uh, you said, on, on your property. Well, what are the changes in regards to the operation? Like, do you still get daily your room cleaned every day? How do people, how, the, how are the rooms cleaned? Is it any different from what it was last year? What about buffets? Are buffets still there, breakfast buffets? Or I heard um, breakfast buffets are a thing of the past. What should people expect if they stay in a hotel these days? So uh, first one point of uh, clarification, the Grand Hyatt is up the road a couple miles. Okay. Uh, so, um, but our, our, um, our, uh, we made some changes at the club that are, you know, certainly the cleaning protocols uh, have been changed and intensified around all of our uh, facilities. If someone, uh, after a table clears in the dining room, we spray it down. We, you know, not only the tabletop, but the chairs um, so that there isn't any uh, transfer the transmission that way. Staff obviously wearing masks. We have um, we have um, sanitizing stations at every point of entry into the into the main clubhouse building, and uh, we insist that people wear a mask the moment they step on the porch until they're you know seated at the table. Um, we've had to remove all of the bar stools from the bar so that people aren't sitting around the bar and congregating and. And that's been hard for some to adjust to because that's one of the great aspects of the club to drop into the bar and meet folks and chat with the bartender. And so uh, we've had to make that adjustment, but we have an, another patio and game room that uh, is across the way. And so people tend to go over there and they're spaced out. Um, we are, um, we have done away with all of our buffets. And you know, being a club, one of the great aspects of it are the big social events that we do, and obviously we can't do that now. So we've had to adjust to smaller events. They're all outdoors, um, so we can spread people out. We had a barbecue the other night, um, and uh, but it's, it's outdoors. We have a fun event we do called Burgers, Brats, and Brews, and uh, that brings people together. And 
we have to gently remind people to put their mask back on, thank you, unless they're seated at their table and everyone is complying. Um, and uh, so, um, but buffets are, are over for now and our breakfast buffet is over. We, we actually haven't resumed our breakfast service yet. We'll be doing that next week. Um, but we used to have a Continental that was free every morning and then included uh, you know, coffee and muffins and yogurt and berries and such. And um, we've had to discontinue that. Um, our fitness center, um, we now open all the doors and windows, so we're saving money on air conditioning now. But um, it's, uh, yeah, we've spaced all the equipment out and there are spray bottles and, and um, hand towels. So one of the great side benefits of this is people are really diligent about cleaning up after themselves in the gym now. You know, for years, we always wanted people to clean up after themselves in the gym. Now they're doing it. So uh, that's been a nice change. We haven't yet restored all of our um, kind of group fitness classes, and we'll be doing that starting next week and moving those outdoors. Um, we have a nice yoga program, and um, we've had to restrict class size. And then we've been doing some of those at a remote uh, uh, area we call the sunset deck, which is a covered lanai up in a garden with a great view. And we'll do uh, uh, up there. And historically, we'd have 12 or 15 people there. And now we'll limit it to six or eight. And then people can do it on Zoom. And so some of our members are participating in these fitness classes uh, from the mainland. So um, I think um, some of the other things that, that we've um, in terms of housekeeping in the homes, um, we have reduced the frequency. We, uh, we only do housekeeping every three days, unless someone asks for more, in which case we'll up that. But the protocol is that we, we won't clean the home while the guest is in the home. So they need to either go out on the patio or vacate, which is most of them are out doing something, you know, be, going to the beach, going to the, going to the pool, playing golf, something like that. So that's not that hard. And um, uh, I don't know what you call these things, these, um, this, the same wand that they use in airplanes that has some kind of uh, um, sanitation capability. Uh, we've bought a few of those for the club. So every evening they go into the, the fitness center and the spa and our locker rooms and the dining room. And so they're, they're uh, cleaning those uh, with that. So um, golf, the golf carts, for the longest time, we would only have one person on a golf car. Now we have, you have to be of the same family group to be on the same golf car. Um, and then they're doing a really thorough clean. Historically, they didn't use a cleanser that was going to sanitize the golf cart. Now we sanitize. So um, and like I say, we're really fortunate that so much of what people come here to do is outdoors. So that, that simplifies it. Now, guests that are still uh, required to go through the quarantine, those that may have missed the pretest, or some of the guests coming in maybe from a foreign country um, uh, who are changing planes and arriving and need to stay two weeks in quarantine. Do you have guests like this, and do you accept guests that have to do their quarantine um, in your property? We do. We do. And we've had uh, you know, a couple of instances where people took the wrong test. And um, so they had to um, deal with the quarantine. You know, they provided a brief um, exemption 
for different tests, but that's that was only a couple days. So um, a couple things on that. Um, we do have the bubble still. And so um, if we know in advance that someone is coming and they haven't gotten a negative test from, from one of the trusted providers, we have to register them with the, the, the county before they arrive that they're going to be participating in the bubble. And then when they come, we issue them the device. And then there's um, certain areas on the property where they can go and we ask them not to go, we ask them not to come to the dining room, but we do uh, food delivery, we'll do grocery delivery. Um, they can go to, uh, actually right now, we're not uh, permitted to go to the fitness center, um, but they can get out and walk and go to the, uh, there's a pool that we've create, uh, set aside for folks participating in the bubble. So um, we are able to accommodate them. And um, uh, I think the, the thing that made that work is just the ability to get outside. It's one thing to be quarantined on property and have to stay there and not be able to get out and about. But our guests and members are, they lead a really active lifestyle. So the notion of staying stuck in their home for two weeks is pretty hard to bear. But if they can get out and go for a walk or go for a run or a bike ride or even go play golf, they're okay with it. And so that has, that has worked well. Um, we had one member come in July and he was training for a run and uh, he, uh, he ran, uh, he did his four miles or five mile run every day, did 80 laps around his property. So uh, that, was, uh, that was asking a little much, but uh, for the most part now that we have this bubble, people can get outdoors and uh, not be cooped up all day. So that seems to be working well. I mean, I have to say, listening to you, um, your, your property, in a, uh, you pronounce it Kukuiula or how do you pronounce it? Kukuiula. Okay. So, so it's uh, if you know the kukui tree, right? Kukui tree is uh, was known as the candle nut tree, right? And uh, ula is red, I believe. And um, so it's a place name, a historic place name. Um, there were three traditional Hawaiian uh, lighthouses, if you will. You know, they are wayfinding places. And so there's Kukui Olono, which is up on the hill, and then there's Kukui Ula, and then there was one other, I believe it's over by the, um, uh, the crater in Poipu, and they would uh, kind of mash the pulp. It's, it's like a chestnut, right? And they would mash that pulp into a paste and, and, and burn it like a, like a candle. And that provided the uh, sailing canoes with uh, wayfinding for traveling at night along the South Shore. And so uh, we have this historic site on property. I think it's called the Lama Kuhi Kuhi, which is where that uh, that uh, lighthouse, if you will, where it where it uh, was where it was positioned. So it's named after that uh, facility. And uh, this Kukuyula Bay and uh, Kukuyula Harbor is the kind of the heart of of our property here. Well, this was very interesting uh, to learn and this is so different from um, what we heard before and, and I can imagine you know if, if it wasn't for the $1,300 a night tag you probably would have over tourism back uh, very soon in Kauai. Uh, wonderful um, information and, and uh, it looks like it's a real uh, fantastic place to get away from everything, get away from the corona scare 
and it's a safe destination to travel to, and it's, it looks like it's just beautiful. Now, uh, anyone who wanted to get more information on your property, would they just go to Hyatt.com? Because that's how I found you. Or is there another um, outlet people, should they call you? Or how should people get more information or interested in booking you or maybe travel agents that want to book you for their clients and so forth? Uh, sure, and we work with uh, travel agents. Um, that's been a new thing for us in the past two years with destination. And so, um, but the, probably the best opportunity to learn about the property is at kukuiula.com. That's K-U-K-U-I-U-L-A.com, kukuiula.com. And there's information about the club and the amenities and uh, the surrounding area. And you know, one of the neat things about this place I mentioned earlier, uh, we're part of the Poipu Kaloa community and um, we're, people come to Kauai because they want to experience the island. They don't come here to just stay at the resort and not leave. They don't come to sit by the pool and drink a Mai Tai and then chill. They, people come here because they want to experience Kauai. So most of our members and guests, they rent a Jeep, they go to around, they go to the North Shore, they go to Holy Holly Beach or they go to Kokei State Park to see Waimea Canyon. And so um, anyway, you can learn a lot about the region and the island and People say that Kauai is their favorite island, and you get it pretty quick. You get off the airplane and you look and see the mountains and the green, lush green vegetation. You know, Kauai is what people have in their mind. I think you referenced it earlier, but when people come to Kauai, it kind of fits their vision of what Hawaii should be. It's rural and wonderful, lots of small little towns. And so uh, Kukuyu ends up being a great base camp for experiencing the island and lots of great outdoor recreation, whether it's Surfing, stand up paddling, canoe paddling, kayaking, fishing, hiking, paddling on the rivers. It's a, it's a great spot. I, I can definitely agree with this. I've visited your island many times and it's really a place um, to rest and relax. I, I know I, I brought my parents from Germany many years ago. We spent uh, Christmas actually at the Grand Hyatt, not too far from you, you said. And it was a wonderful experience for everyone. And uh, it's, it's definitely um, the garden island of the world. And it's the place to go if you want to get away from everything. And it looks like your property is the place to stay if you want to get away from everything without missing all the five-star amenities at the same time. Richard, if there's anything else you wanted to add. Uh, I really appreciate the time. And um, uh, hopefully we'll see you over here before too long. Thank you very much and uh, stay safe and uh, continue doing a wonderful job um, for our industry. And, uh, and hopefully you see a lot of our listeners and our readers um, booking your property soon. Very good. Thank you. Mahalo. Take care. Uh -huh.